Hello and welcome to the January 2008 podcast for The Lancet Neurology. I'm Richard Lane and I'm joined by editor Helen Frankish. Helen, Happy New Year, although it's still December. A few things to talk through this month. Some good news. Let's start with good news. You have a research article about stroke and a technique that I haven't heard of before that you're going to read out and then define. Okay, we have a research paper in this issue looking at constraint-induced movement therapy for stroke, which is a technique that's used in uh, rehab of patients who've had a stroke, in which patients' use of their less affected arm and hand is restricted, and so patients are forced to use their damaged arm to practice various training exercises. What sort of exercises? So patients using their affected arm do various shaping exercises and they also have to repeatedly practice a specific task such as grooming or eating for up to 15 to 20 minutes and the therapy is given for up to six hours a day, five days a week for about two weeks. Sounds interesting Helen. So what timescales are we talking about in this article in terms of how long the intervention was given for and how long was the follow-up done? Well, patients who had had a stroke three to nine months previously were given two weeks of this therapy. And a a study that was published last year showed that 12 months after the treatment, there were significant improvements in arm function compared with patients who had just received usual care. So in this issue of the Lancet Neurology, report whether those effects were retained over the following 12 months. So in this study, Steve Wolf from Emory University in the US and colleagues randomised just over 100 patients who had mild to moderate post-stroke impairments to receive either constraint-induced movement therapy or usual care. And as I mentioned earlier, the the treatment was given for a period of two weeks. And two years after they had received the treatment, the improvements in muscle strength and grip strength that were seen at 12 months didn't decline. And actually, many of the measures actually showed even further improvements. And there were also improvements in patients' quality of life as well. That's interesting. So really, fairly minimal in terms of intervention, but really getting quite a sustained improvement in quality of life. That's right, and the authors estimate that approximately 30% of patients could benefit from an intervention of this type. Thank you, Helen. You've also got another research article. Unfortunately, the bottom line is less favourable than the stroke article we've just discussed. And this is looking at dementia. It always seems to be bad news when we're talking about treatments for dementia. Um, This is looking at aspirin. Do you want to... Elaborate. We have a study which is the second arm of the AD2000 study which investigated whether aspirin was beneficial in patients who have Alzheimer's disease. And various strands of evidence suggest that aspirin might be beneficial in patients who have Alzheimer's disease. So epidemiological studies have consistently shown that patients who take aspirin are less likely to have Alzheimer's than those who don't take it. And there's also a plausible mechanism that could explain this benefit because there have been suggestions that aspirin might prevent the formation of amyloid plaques, which are one of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease. And in terms of methodology, quite a straightforward thing to do, to randomise people to take aspirin on a regular basis compared with those who were told to avoid aspirin. That's right. About 300 people living in the community were randomised in an unblinded way to, like you say, to either receive aspirin or to avoid it. And after two years of treatment, the cognition scores of patients in the two groups, unfortunately, were not significantly different. 
And furthermore, the patients who took aspirin um, had a four times greater risk of having a serious bleed. So you're right, it's more bad news for patients who have dementia, sadly. I really look forward to the day when we come on and do the podcast and we're talking about a dementia yeah. study with a positive outcome. But anyway, sobering news from, from the AD2000 study group there. Also had in a review, interesting one. This is looking at the treatment of epilepsy among children. I found this interesting, not knowing much about epilepsy, because it's not calling for a one-size-fits-all approach, is it? It's basically saying that epilepsy is quite a multifaceted type of thing. We don't need to basically go overboard in trying to always rule out epileptic fits ever happening. That's right, and actually, it, it actually suggests the opposite, that there isn't a one-size-fits-all, but that, that treatment should be tailored for, for the individual patient. So just to summarise briefly, epilepsy in children encompasses several different syndromes, each of which have a different prognosis, but all are characterised by a predisposition to recurrent seizures. And in this review, Rod Scott and colleagues from the Institute of Child Health in London give an overview of the management of the epilepsies in children and discuss the difficulties of everyday practice, such as how to select the most appropriate treatment, how to monitor the treatment and outcome, and also the decision whether to discontinue treatment in patients who are free from seizures. And importantly, they emphasise the need to establish goals for treatment, such as aiming for the best possible quality of life rather than freedom from seizures at all costs. And finally, Helen... As it's January, you, you have a roundup for us, I think. In the January issue of every year, we publish our roundup in which we contact 10 experts in various specialties within neurology and ask them to summarise their top five papers that they've read in the previous year. Yes, Helen, I think, I think there are up to 50 articles there among the different specialties. Right. Do you want to just give a couple of examples? Okay, so for in MS, for example, um, the author of the article has highlighted the benefit trial, which was published in The Lancet earlier this year, showing that earlier treatment with interferon beta reduces the accumulation of disability in patients with MS. And also, a Lancet neurology paper, actually, was highlighted by Ming Lu from China. And this was the paper that we published back in February, showing that decompression surgery for patients who have malignant MCA infarction is beneficial. Many thanks, Helen. Those are the highlights from the January 2008 issue of The Lancet Neurology. Helen and I will be back next month. Thanks for listening.